From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, in for Tony today. Glad that you are with us. And before we cover the news of the day, I want to acknowledge the tragedy that unfolded yesterday in Waukesha, Wisconsin, where at least five people were killed and more than 40 others injured after an SUV drove through a crowd at the city's Christmas parade. We here at FRC are in prayer for those who were devastated by yesterday's tragedy. And we are in contact with a pastor who is on the ground ministering to hurting families there. We ask that you join us in praying for the people there during this difficult time. And now for the news. Today on the program, Operation Christmas Child has blessed 188 million children in 170 countries. We'll talk about how you can help a child this year. Also, the Chinese government is showing off some impressive new technology. What does it mean for the United States? And at the end of the program, why do the goalposts always seem to be moving on COVID? And what will it take to make us, to help us, return to normal? We'll talk about it with Dr. Robert Malone, who invented the mRNA vaccine. But now for the headlines today. With Thanksgiving Day ahead of us this week, Congress is out. But when it returns, there will be a a lot for lawmakers on Capitol Hill to tackle. Here to talk about the battles that are ahead and what you need to know is Travis Weber, who is FRC's Vice President for Policy and Government Affairs. He joins us in the studio. Travis, welcome back to the program. Thanks very much. Well, tell us, uh, we have a little break this week. There's been a lot of budget negotiation. What should we expect from lawmakers when they return next week? Yeah, so the uh, Congress comes back in next week. Uh, The Senate is going to be tackling the National Defense Authorization Act, the bill that funds our, our military endeavors. Uh, The Senate debated that bill last week before going in recess, but we're going to expect a number of amendment votes and uh, debate and a vote on the bill itself. We are specifically very focused on an attempt to make sure that women are not forced to register for selective service as part of this bill. And uh, Senators Hawley, Lee and Inhofe and others have amendments and efforts. uh, They have amendments to address the issue. And uh, there are other senators we're stepping up and addressing that issue, we really believe is important, a big focus of ours. Obviously, there are a lot of other issues in the bill the Senate is going to be looking at when it comes back next week. How are those concerns being uh, received in the Senate specifically, who's going to be voting on this soon? Is there general support? Is there general opposition? Yeah, I think, you know, we have those senators that I mentioned willing to tackle the issue, but uh, many senators at this point not uh, publicly so far indicating that they are supportive of this effort to ensure that women are protected in this way. Now, there's a lot of issues in the bill, a lot of, you know, focus on a number of different things, but this is one we are going to keep plugging away at because we believe it's important to America's families to not have their daughters drafted off, forced to serve, drafted off to serve. And again, let me emphasize, uh, you know, as we engage on this, we recognize many women served honorably and should continue to be able to do so voluntarily, but not be forced to register for the draft. So this is one we'll continue to tackle in the Senate. My sense is that most people object in principle to the idea that their daughters would be drafted. Um, 
is the is the reception in the Senate are they um, maybe cool on the issue and not taking it up because um, of the underlying issue? Do they not see it politically? Like, do they not sense that the public is really keyed in on this? Well, you know, this is a big bill. It's a very important bill uh, for a lot of members, and there are a lot of issues here. I think. We have to make sure that people understand this is an important issue, that members and senators understand it's an important issue. And uh, I, I think, you know, there's there's just uh, the reality that what is actually going on here has not yet been brought to light. But when it is brought to light, I'm confident that, um, you know, more, more uh, elected leaders will recognize the gravity of what we're doing here. But, you know, we'll just we'll just keep uh, plugging away on that. And, uh, you know, even as the Senate's addressing that, um, there are a number of other issues Congress is going to be taking up when they get back. Uh, the, the reconciliation bill, the uh, what, what should be better known as the Biden budget buster bill right. passing the House, moving over to the Senate now, uh, going to have to pass the Senate probably uh, in assuming it's modified, come back to the House for another vote. We don't know what's going to happen with that yet, though, because we know that we do know that that uh, Senators Manchin, Cinema, and others have indicated problems, concerns with some of that bill. And, um, you know, if, if depending on what uh, negotiations take place to get it to pass the Senate, we're going to have to see that happen, then come back to the House. Well, let's talk about that for a second, because over the weekend, the Biden administration was on several of the talk shows expressing what seemed to be real optimism that they were going to get this through the Senate. Uh, at the same time, we've heard um, not just kind of passive, but increasingly active opposition, um, not only from every Republican in the Senate, but increasingly Joe Manchin, who's kind of gone on offense, saying these are the problems with it, as well as Kristen Cinema. Why do you think the Biden administration is expressing optimism? Is it hopefulness, or do they have a reason to think that they're going to pull uh, the votes to their side that they need? Well, I think that you know they have to be optimistic publicly when speaking about this. The reality behind closed doors is it's a different picture, different ball game as they hash out these negotiations. You know, it's possible they'll get something passed in some form, but when we're looking at the trillions of dollars in government spending, we're moving out the door here. And the, progress, the radical progressive policies included in it, uh, we shouldn't be rushing this out and, and we shouldn't be uh, doing so, uh, you know, in, in a careless and reckless manner. And so, um, you know, they want to be optimistic about this. They're doing so publicly. The reality is uh, I, I think there are a lot of members, including, uh, you know, some of these these moderates who recognize we're, we're talking about a radical reorganization of, of um, policy here. Uh, um, policies that, that are, affect the family negatively and affect uh, a lot of uh, conservatives' concerns quite negatively. And, and we're talking about trillions of dollars of spending. So, uh, you know, this is it's going to be there's going to be a lot of negotiation yet. And, and we'll see what happens at the end of that. Specifically on the spending component to this, because there are many in the in the right now, I think the number is one point nine trillion that they're saying. But but Senator Manchin earlier this month came out and said that that was that number was a function of essentially gimmicks and shell games, saying it's really much larger than that. Um, what is that final number going to be? And do you think they can convince somebody like Senator Manchin that this is actually uh, fiscally responsible? Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I, I think, you know, the reality is that um, it, it probably will shrink a little bit from the, the, the close to two million or two trillion dollars. It gives you a sense of, of what we're looking at here, right? Trillion, million, trillion, billion. <laughs> Close to two trillion dollars. It's probably going to shrink a little bit. You know, we'll obviously. I don't think he's going to play his, his full deck of cards here, um, and we'll have to see what policy he's okay he's okay with and what uh, final dollar amount he's okay with. But um, you know, this again, this all has to occur 
or ideally, you know, the Democrats would want it to occur within the next month. And it's actually, you know, less than a month when you look at the current uh, congressional calendar scheduled for two weeks, be in session two weeks beginning of December to get the NDAA done, this budget buster bill done, and deal with government funding. Currently, um, the government is funded per a short-term funding patch, what's known as a continuing resolution, through December 3rd. Uh, Congress is going to have to deal with that, either patch it again for a few weeks, uh, patch it for a few months, or a year-long patch. Uh, They don't know exactly what they're going to do, but they're going to have to focus on that, as well as deal with a debt debt ceiling that needs to be raised by mid-December. So, We've got all these and, and probably more that needs to be crammed in um, to Congress, through Congress in December. So they're definitely looking at a busy December. Yeah. One other issue on this, and then and then I want to get to China a little bit with you. But but Senator Manchin is also uh, kind of the lingering issue on the, on the budget negotiations is the Hyde Amendment. Because we know Biden's transformation, longtime supporter of the Hyde Amendment until he was running for president. Now he says he's opposed to it. Senator Manchin has said he will not support a bill without the Hyde Amendment. Is there a possibility that that issue alone kills what, to this point, is his sign- is President Biden's signature piece of legislation? I think it's possible. He's been very clear uh, and very public with his stance on, on the Hyde Amendment. Uh, you know, so I don't think the Democrats are going to try to uh, try to uh, a full frontal negotiating assault on that. I think what's more likely is there's maybe some uh, nuanced um, discussion around the edges of, of 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 something where they're saying, look, we're preserving the Hyde Amendment. But then they try to cram and use a, a bunch, you know, whatever gimmick they can to cram abortion funding out the door or through the hole they have. Uh, that's not a, a rollback of the Hyde Amendment. You know, but I think Senator Manchin has been very clear. Uh, we appreciate his stance, and uh, we've communicated that to him, that, uh, you know, many people in America do not want their tax dollars going to fund abortion, and, and uh, we appreciate his stance on that issue. And, and that possible path forward is exactly what we saw during the Affordable Care Act negotiations in the Obama administration, where they they they, they had an agreement that basically allowed them to say, oh, we're not going to fund abortion, but in reality, they definitely funded abortion. Uh, Senator Manchin seems to be um, wise to their games, so we'll see how this all plays out. But a couple minutes left here. What's going on in China? We have a missing um, tennis star. Why is this important? Yeah, so this, you know, as we look at, we think about defense, the NDAA passing, a lot of the discussion right now is around the U.S.-China relationship, number of facets to discuss here, including religious freedom. Most recently, though, you have a Chinese tennis star who uh, publicly accused a high-level CCP, Chinese Communist Party official, of sexual assault on social media platforms a short while, several weeks ago now. Um, within 30 minutes, that post was deleted, and people could not get in touch with her. Um, in the time since then, we've we've seen pressure mount. The World the uh, World Tennis Association, the um, WTA, has publicly expressed support for her um, and indicated they want to know that she's well and uh, has basically taken a hard line in def- in, in in challenging the Chinese regime to. Uh, you know, to not just let the sweep go into the rug to, to you know, not let them, let them off the hook by saying, you know, look, we're giving you our assurances that she's okay. So in the time since then, they've taken this hard line. Other tennis players have spoken out. And this is important because it's in contrast with other large corporations, other professional athletes who don't take such a hard stance, who are compromised in what they're they're doing publicly with regard to China. 
And so that's all the more notable that you basically have the WTA standing up and saying, look, we don't care if we lose millions of dollars in deals here. The well-being of this tennis player um, who we care about is more important. And this is really heartening to see when you look at the Chinese regime's abuses, them about to host the Winter Games in a few months. Uh, we really want to encourage this type of stance towards China. We're glad to see it occur- uh, coming from the WTA. And what is the Chinese government's response to this, Ben? They've apparently tried to show some some proof of life and proof of wellness, but there's some skepticism. Yeah, so recently uh, you had the IOC, International Olympic Committee, uh, an official appearing, uh, having a video chat with this, um, with Peng Shui, this Chinese uh, tennis player. And, um, you know, they have a picture of him holding a discussion with her on a video. We don't have the recording to the video, though. The IOC has not released this. China has not released it. And so there is a lot of skepticism that this is a credible claim by the by the um, this tennis player that she's OK. I mean, it could have been doctored, posture, could be posturing, staging of it. And uh, thankfully, the WTA is not buying it. They're 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 basically saying our concerns are not alleviated. We are still concerned about the well-being of this tennis player. And um, others are speaking up, too. And, and so um, you have Ennis Cantor of the Boston Celtics uh, writing a Wall Street Journal op-ed today uh, talking about the issue. And so um, we just need to continue to raise our voices in support of those others who are defending human rights in China, uh, like the, um, what the WTA is doing, because there are a whole host of those who need our defense, including the many persecuted Uyghurs, underground Christians, and many others who the Chinese regime is coming after in one way or another. Yeah, this is not a good look for the Chinese government. Of course, it's not their first time they've had not a good look. But uh, hopefully we will get a a resolution to this quickly that shows that she is well and also ultimately um, some accountability on the international stage um, for the Chinese government because yay for the Tennis Association for standing up for human rights. Travis, thanks for joining us. Yeah. And coming up, Operation Christmas Child. How can you help? We'll talk to Sissy graham Are you struggling to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. With the current division and confusion of our culture, it is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's Word so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. The Center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the Church to current issues. This helps Christians understand and live by a biblical worldview, know why Scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers to advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools, communities, and the public square. The experts at the center address and provide resources on issues like religious liberty, abortion, voting, 
marriage, and sexuality. To access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series, go to frc.org worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including blogs, interviews, and publications, sign up at frc.org subscriptions. At Family Research Council, it is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've decided to be proactive to make sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. That is why we've created a tech subscription platform. If we get canceled, you can stay informed and still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text. We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742. Welcome back to Washington Watch. The website is TonyPerkins.com, where you can watch this and every episode on demand. Today is the last day of National Collection Week for Operation Christmas Child, a project of Samaritan's Purse that has collected and delivered more than 188 million shoebox gifts to children in more than 170 countries and territories since 1993. So if you haven't already, there's still time to pack a shoebox for boys and girls across the globe and share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. If you're not familiar with the project or need a little nudge, I have with me now on the phone Sissy Graham Lynch from Samaritan's Purse to tell us about the impact that this project is having around the world. Sissy, welcome to the program. Oh, Joseph, thank you. Thanks for having me tonight. Well, we're glad to have you. Before we begin, FRC and much of the Christian community has been praying for your father, Franklin Graham, who recently underwent surgery. Can you tell us how he's doing? Oh, thank you. You know, the uh, prayers are just so powerful. And as a family, we're so grateful. And my dad, I mean, those prayers, they're powerful. And he's grateful. He is on a long road of recovery, but he's already been back in the office, which many of us keep yelling at him for. So he's got a long road ahead, but he is doing remarkably well. Thank you for asking. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Now, for those not familiar with Operation Christmas Child, give us a brief description of what this ministry does. Yeah, so like you said, since 1993, we have been collecting boxes, and I've been uh, packing boxes uh, since that first year. But you're taking a simple shoebox, and you are packing it with toys and school supplies, necessity items. And Samaritan's Purse is taking these boxes around the world. And it's not just about a Christmas present. With Samaritan's Purse, it is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So every box that's handed into the hands of a child has the opportunity to hear the gospel and to know that God loves them. Some of these are hard-reached places. Some of these are, uh, you know, war-torn countries. They're difficult places to get to. And to know that God loves them, they get to hear about Jesus Christ. And that is the most important thing about a power of a shoebox. That's exactly right. And and tell me how much time, I know we're at the end of this, and we want to give people a chance to get involved with this. 
How much time do people have if they're inspired by this, they're looking for a a last-minute way to make a difference in this holiday season? What can people do? So it's not too late. We have um, Build a Shoebox Online, and you can go to SamaritansFirst.org slash build online. You can personalize your box. You can pick and choose what you want in it. You can upload your own picture and make a box right there from home and track your box. So, again, that's SamaritansPurse.com slash build online. Do I have that correct? Let me say it again. It's SamaritansPurse.org slash build online. And with the beauty of the Internet, everything can be assembled and everybody's comfortable with having their online cart. So now we can do it with these boxes. Now, Sissy, we know that the, the benefit of these gifts just, just does not just go to the uh, recipient of the gift. Tell, tell us some stories about how those who participate in this project end up being blessed as well. Oh, my goodness. You know what? For, I have two young children, and this is the most important time of year to teach them. It is better to give than to receive. And my kids have learned the power of prayer behind every box because I've shared with them stories. Every box is like a miracle. And everyone's like a thumbprint or a snowflake. Not one of them is the same. And I have seen um, just like a blind child open up a box. And as a person, you're wondering what can be in this box. And everything has to do with music or instruments for this one child. And God already knew that child was going to receive that box. So there's important lessons for my children here and with their friends who have been packing boxes. Are there ways, as these boxes are delivered, how is the gospel uh, moved forward with these boxes in the, in the countries that they reach? Yeah, so like I said, every box that's delivered, they will hear the gospel when it's delivered to them. But then the kids have a great opportunity to go through our 12-week discipleship program. They get to um, go, it's like Sunday school for these kids. And if they graduate the 12-week program, they get a Bible, and I've been in some of these communities where the children have come to know the Lord. They go home and tell their families about it, and then their families come to know the Lord. So the children are becoming evangelists. But now we're seeing throughout the years churches sprouting up in some of these hard-reach uh, communities and countries, all because of a shoebox that somebody packed at home, prayed over it. It went. They didn't know where their box was going to end up, but we see children, families, and even communities coming to know the Lord. We're speaking with Sissy Graham Lynch about Operation Christmas Child. And Sissy, as these boxes are delivered, is this a Samaritan's purse uh, personnel on the ground? Is it local churches who are giving these to children? How does that work on the other end of the gift? That is such a great question. Yep, we have, um, you know, we work in over 100 countries. We got staff on many of those countries. But we work with volunteers in all these countries that, and of course, the local church. You know, Operation Christmas Child will come and go in these communities. We want the local church to be built up. We want um, them to be involved, for them to get the credit when we leave a country. So, yeah, we, uh, it's, it's quite um, the logistics process starting from somebody's home um, to our warehouses and going on a ship, an airplane, delivered by boat and camels, you name it. We've gotten it there. And then we have volunteers on the ground who deliver these boxes. And um, the local church is so powerful. We want the local church to be built up through these boxes. Is there still time for people individually to get involved? Did you have church, entire churches, youth groups getting involved in this as well? Yeah, it's not too late. You know, you can uh, go on our website and 
you can build a community group and track like your progress of building boxes, your youth group or your church, maybe a work community and track them. We can, you can still build them. We won't have, um, when National Collection Week's over, we won't have our different drop-off locations, but that's where it's great, where you can build a box online. And we are so thankful for that opportunity. Again, remind people, I want to, the website is SamaritansPurse.org slash build online. Do I have that? Yes, sir. Okay, that's SamaritansPurse.org slash build online. You can go there and assemble your operation Christmas child box today, all online. It's very easy, but it's also very powerful, not just because it spreads Christmas cheer, because more importantly, it spreads the gospel. And Sissy Graham Lynch, we really do appreciate your time, all of your service to the gospel and to the church, and also for being with us today. Thanks so much. Thanks, Joseph. And we do commend that to you again one more time. Uh, SamaritansPurse.org slash build online. Do that with your family tonight as you are looking for something to do together that is edifying and encouraging. Uh, Put together a box. Coming up, military experts have been pouring over data related to to China's hypersonic weapons test. Now a report says the Pentagon scientists are unsure how they did it. We'll talk about it when we come back. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In Scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets, and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. To Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Mackle. I'm sitting in for Tony Perkins. I want to remind you that the website is TonyPerkins.com, where you can find this program and every program. We just got done with a great 
segment on Operation Christmas Child, want to give you one more chance with the website, which is SamaritansPurse.org slash build online so that you can build a box with your family. It's a great way to celebrate the holiday spirit and uh, pay it forward as we celebrate what Jesus has done for us during the holiday season, especially during Thanksgiving as we come up on that. Now, last month, reports came out about China having conducted a nuclear-capable hypersonic weapon test back on July 27th. General Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, said China's test was very concerning and very close to a Sputnik moment. Since then, military experts have reportedly been poring over data related to the test. And a new report from Financial Times, which broke the story, says Pentagon scientists are still unsure how China mastered the technology which gives China more ways to hit U.S. targets. Moreover, it reported that China had conducted another hypersonic weapons test on August 13th. What are we to make of these revelations? We are expecting to have Lieutenant Colonel Robert Lee McGinnis with us in just a moment. I understand we are still trying to get him on the line so that we can talk to uh, Lieutenant Colonel McGinnis. He is... He is the published two, uh, author of eight books, including Give Me Liberty, Not Marxism, and An Alliance of Evil. And now I understand that we have him on the phone. Colonel McGinnis, do we have you? You have me. Thanks for having me today. Well, we are glad to have you. This is an important subject that a lot of us don't feel like we're experts in. In layman's terms, what can you tell us about China's hypersonic weapons test? Well, they've been working on it for years, as have we, and the Russians, of course. Um, others, uh, like the North Koreans, uh, have some, you know, young systems. But what the Chinese showed us uh, this summer uh, allegedly took a lot of people by surprise. Uh, basically and technically, this is a, a bit different than the intercontinental ballistic missiles that we've been, you know, talking about for throughout the Cold War and recently. Uh, you put the capsule of what's called a hypersonic glide vehicle. Uh, you put it in a capsule. You launch it from an ICBM. And in low or orbit around the Earth, it escapes. It gets away. And then it can go around the Earth as many times as it wants and then reenter the atmosphere at a low orbit and go essentially anywhere it wants. It has a pre-programmed uh, location. Now, the difficulty is with something like this, a hypersonic uh, you know, glide vehicle has what's called a fractional orbital bombardment system, which means uh, it can go just about anywhere. It can go left and right, up and down. It can target any place on the Earth. And we have essentially no way of not only destroying it, uh, but detecting it becomes very difficult because these things can go uh, arguably five to ten times the speed of sound. Uh, so they're very fast, they're hard to track, and we have no means of destroying them uh, as they seek to come into uh, the atmosphere and seek to go after a target. Based on what we've learned from these Chinese tests, how big is the gap between what the Chinese have demonstrated in where the United States presently is? 
I, you know, I think the real answer is classified. Uh, however, as you would suspect, uh, we wouldn't have made a ruckus about this unless it was serious. Now, we do know that the Chinese, uh, interestingly, uh, according to Admiral Richard, who was the U.S. or is the U.S. Strategic Command commander, he said basically we're observing a strategic breakout. And also the Secretary of the Air Force said not long ago that uh, he – quote, if they continue down the path that they seem to be on to substantially increase the ICBM force, uh, they will have a de facto first strike capability, end quote. So with hypersonics, with uh, the expansion, rapid expansion of ICBMs, and of course the uh, Pentagon's report that came out just a couple of weeks ago uh, made it very clear that uh, the Chinese, uh, to our surprise, uh, are seeking about a thousand nuclear plutonium-based weapons warheads uh, by the end of the decade, and at least 700 platforms, in other words, uh, missiles out of uh, submarines or uh, bombs dropped from bombers uh, by the end of the decade as well. So uh, they are not constrained, as we are, uh, under the Strategic Arms Reduction Treaty with the Russians uh, to a certain number of warheads and uh, platforms. And so the Chinese are are coming out of arguably nowhere uh, with incredibly sophisticated capabilities. And this uh, surprises and also sobers uh, not only people on the Hill, but in the intelligence community. Lieutenant Colonel McGinnis, in about 30 seconds, is the timing of these tests significant in any way? Well, the Chinese have every intention of becoming a world power. And yes, this is very sobering and very significant. Uh, helping them to reach where they want to go. Lieutenant Colonel McGinnis, we are appreciative of your time, though it is a concerning story, but we appreciate you being with us. Look forward to learning more from you very soon. Thanks for your time today. Thanks, now. Have a great day. Now, coming up, Dr. Fauci, President Biden's chief medical advisor, says health officials may change the definition of fully vaccinated to include COVID-19 boosters if the science leads them there. What could that mean going forward? We're going to talk about it after the break when we talk to the guy who invented the mRNA vaccine. You might be surprised about what you learned, so stay with us. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. 
Why should we care about this freedom? At Finley Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In Scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Attention university students. Are you looking for an internship that will help you grow as a Christian leader and allow you to positively influence the culture? Then Family Research Council's internship program is for you. FRC's life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program will prepare and equip you for the next step in your professional journey. You'll enjoy a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training. All of these offerings were created to aid you in your personal and professional development. As an intern, you will have the opportunity to work side-by-side with our experts in policy, communications, event planning, and more. The real-world experience you gain will prepare you to pursue a career of influence and make a difference wherever God calls you. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony today. So glad that you have joined us. By the end of today, the Biden administration expects federal employees to have at least one COVID shot or have an approved or pending exception or extension request. Otherwise... They will be expected to undergo education and counseling, followed by, quote, additional enforcement steps, unquote, according to a report from the New York Times citing a senior Biden administration official. Meanwhile, overseas, Austria entered a nationwide lockdown today that is supposed to last at least 10 days. And yesterday, Dr. Anthony Fauci, President Biden's chief medical advisor said health officials may change the definition of fully vaccinated to include COVID-19 booster shots if the science leads them there. Based on what we're seeing and hearing now, what might the trajectory be for the virus and for the mandates? With me now to talk about this is Dr. Robert Malone, chief medical and regulatory officer for the Unity Project and an internationally recognized physician scientist who specializes in advanced development of medical countermeasures to infectious diseases. Dr. Malone, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Joseph. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you and with your audience. Well, we are excited to hear from you. And I want to start off by playing a clip of the interview on CNN's State of the Union, during which CNN host Dana Bash asked Dr. Fauci if the definition of what constitutes fully vaccinated needs to change now to include booster shots. We don't know right now. You have to be perfectly transparent and honest. We're going to be doing the best we can to keep the American public optimally protected. 
If that means that that's going to be a boost that will absolutely everyone will have to have, then so be it. We'll do it that way. But it will be guided by the science. What's your reaction to that? Uh, anytime I hear Tony Fauci saying perfectly honest and transparent, I cringe. Uh, that's my first reaction, um, to be honest with you and transparent. Uh, I, I find the statement a little disingenuous. We've known the situation was coming. We knew it from the Israeli data. We knew it from the CDC leaked data set to the Washington Post months ago. This is nothing new. Uh, the Israelis, I think, are on their fourth jab now. Uh, Tony, the, the problem we have is the vaccines aren't effective and they're not durable. And to the extent that they provide protection, it's predominantly against death, but they are equally as protective as natural immunity for death. And natural immunity is actually significantly superior for protection against disease. Now, most of us have didn't hadn't heard about mRNA vaccines until about 12 months ago. You've been working on these for a very long time. Why is it, do you think, that we are now, as you said, in Israel on our fourth jab, these talk of additional boosters for who knows how, how many, how long, what's happening here that continues to raise the bar of what's required to address this virus? There's a bunch of different interacting variables. One of them is that the vaccines are driving the development of virus that is basically super virus, just like we have super bacteria if you overuse antibiotics. We're over-vaccinating the population and we're driving the development of viral escape mutants. Another problem is that most of us have already been exposed to other coronaviruses, beta coronaviruses. We call it the common cold. And that exposure is biasing our immune response. There's a fancy word term for it, original antigenic sin. And I think that that is creating a situation where it's very difficult to build a vaccine that is going to provide long-term protection against these viruses, particularly one that only has one antigen. It's only expressing the spike protein, as opposed to natural immunity, which provides immunity against about 20 to 50 different proteins from the virus. Historically, Joe, it's been really difficult to build durable vaccines against respiratory RNA viruses. We know that because of influenza. Is what you're telling us controversial within the scientific community? Because the pressure to get to 100% vaccination, and we know what's happened at the, in, the, in the federal government and the, the effort to get all the employees up to 100% vaccinated. We know this, they, they've attempted to, employ, to apply this to employers as well. So far, the courts have said you can't do that. If what you've said is true, is you can actually, that over-vaccination is possible, why is there such pressure to get to 100%? I can't answer your question. It's anomalous. It's not data-based. It seems to be some sort of hypnosis or, or um, I, I just don't know what to say. What we've got is a situation in which politicians are deciding public policy for reasons that are beyond me um, and are making decisions that aren't supported by the data. Is this controversial? 
uh, Dr. Fauci and uh, the good Dr. William Gates, noted uh, uh, college dropout who never graduated from any advanced degree, has have clearly stated that these vaccines are not working, and they're not. They're not protecting us from infection. They're not protecting us from viral spread. They're not protecting us from disease. And a third jab isn't going to change that. So I, I just don't understand, and many of us are perplexed, what is driving these dysfunctional government behaviors. There's no matter if you do what the Australians are doing and grabbing people off the street and out of their houses and shipping them off to camps in Australia because they're infected or they're in close contact with somebody who was, that's not going to stop this virus from from moving through the population. It is too highly infectious. Um, and we've known that for a long time, as I mentioned, the leaked CDC slide deck to the Washington Post. I, I can't understand. Uh, I wish I could get into Tony Fauci's head, uh, but I can't. I don't know what's going on with the thinking by Tony and the director of the CDC and uh, Joe Biden, let alone uh, the leadership in Austria and now Germany. They seem to think they can defer the inevitable. They can't. This Dr. virus is too infectious. Yeah, you said that the vaccines don't work, but earlier you also said that you think they reduce death. Do you think that that's true? Is, is it, is it, are the vaccines uh, reducing the number of people you think who otherwise would have died from the virus? Yeah, compared to not doing anything. That's the other part of this equation is that early treatment saves lives. It keeps people out of the hospital. And uh, for some reason, the government has worked really hard to keep people from getting access to early treatments. But if you factor in early treatments, suddenly the already very small mortality that exists for most of us goes to very close to zero. We're already in a situation where a young man like yourself, trim and fit, uh, I'm sure you take care of yourself, your risk of death or significant disease from this virus, meaning put you in the hospital, is a fraction of a fraction of a percent. The risk for your boys and girls is even lower than that. If they're otherwise healthy, it is essentially zero. It's a very, very low number. It's only in the elderly and people with major other pre-existing conditions like morbid obesity that the death rate goes up. But these are people, remember the average age of death from COVID disease is higher than the average age of death all comers, okay? So yes, there is approximately a 5% risk of dying with COVID if you're over 70 on aggregate, but most of those people have major pre-existing conditions and the actuarial tables teach us they're not gonna live for a whole lot longer anyhow. If you are under 65, your risk of death and major disease for this virus, unless you have a significant comorbidity like too many McDonald's hamburgers, uh, morbid obesity, uh, raging diabetes, immunodeficiency syndrome, some of those things, your risk is tiny. It's in the same range as flu. 
So don't overreact. We have a pandemic of fear here as much as we have a pandemic of virus. We're grossly overreacting. And this is what leads a lot of people, I'm sure including yourself, to say, what the heck is going on? This doesn't make any sense at all. And there is a school of thought that we've got a mass psychosis going on with a whole lot of people that have just been driven crazy by all the fear mongering happening in the press and through the government. And uh, it's influenced, they, they, they think that there is this huge chance they're gonna die. It's false. It's, it's just fear mongering. And uh, you know, what, is, what is driving all of this coordinated fear mongering by the press and censorship by big media and all of that coordinated all across the world and the attacks on physicians. This is a head scratcher. We're What's talking, going on here? We're talking to Dr. Robert Malone of the Unity Project. Dr. Malone, another question I have for you. I have, I have read, and I believe it to be true, that more people have died from COVID in 2021 than in 2020 now. And of course, in 2020, there was no vaccine. There has been uh, through all of 2021. Is that true? And if so, what, what does that mean? So the problem with those data is that the government has created incentives to the hospitals to count things as COVID death or COVID deaths. They get more money if they can say that somebody who has died or is dying has this virus. And it's been decided that if you have the virus and you die, the cause of death is the virus. That is patently untrue. So the problem we have is confusing death with COVID from death from COVID. The government has driven this data confusion through their own policies. And we've got to the point where we can't make heads or tails out of the death data, out of the mortality data. However, it is a paradox. You're absolutely right. And uh, what we really have to do is look at all-cause mortality, you know, in aggregate. And there are some worrisome signals there that suggest the possibility of something that the FDA has been worried about since the beginning of this vaccine push, which is that the vaccines may be leading to vaccine-enhanced disease. I can't say, is this happening or not happening? But something's going on that doesn't make sense. And there's a lot of signs coming out, not just from the US, all over Europe, in European databases and the Israeli database, that suggests that there's something that's not quite right here that we don't understand. And it may be in part that the vaccines are causing some deficiency in immune responses for some period of time. And it may be that the vaccination is causing other DNA viruses to reactivate and causing problems. There's a whole lot of it doesn't make sense going on. And you're exactly right. There is some signal there, although the data are so screwed up, it's hard to figure out what's what, that vaccines may be making things worse in some people in certain situations. Now, Dr. Malone, the criticisms of government policy related to COVID are often dismissed 
as the 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 railings of anti-vaxxers. Uh, would you consider yourself to be an anti-vaxxer generally, or is there something specific about this situation that concerns you? So I'm a vaccine developer, have been for 30 years. The technology basis for these RNA vaccines came off of my bench. When I was a graduate student, nine issued patents from the late 80s. But I am offended, frankly, professionally, by how this has been done, uh, by the mandates, which I believe are not only unethical but illegal, uh, by the rushed development, the lack of testing. And there's signs that part of the reason for that has to do the liability of the vaccine manufacturers, which, as you know, they've all been given indemnification. They can't be sued, except for one thing. If it can be shown that they were actually aware of a vaccine problem, an adverse event, and they didn't disclose it, then they can be held liable. So the easy solution for the vaccine developers is to take the famous approach, see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. They have a, a paradoxical incentive to deny and not gather data that would show that there's problems with the vaccine. And I think that's part of what's driving this crazy situation where our government and the vaccine manufacturers seem to be um, intentionally blind to what's going on. I think it has to do with the terms and conditions of the indemnification that we, unfortunately, our government has given these manufacturers. Dr. I mean, think Malone. it through. Unfortunately, Pfizer we are out of time. Vaccine to a country. Yeah, I'm going to have to cut you off there. I'm sorry. I know there's so much more okay, to say, okay. and, I, and I do look forward to continuing this conversation another day. But for now, we thank you for your time and look forward to the next conversation. And folks, that's what we have for our program today. Uh, there are lots of questions. I hope we got some of them answered for you today. But we are going to have to continue this next time on Washington Watch. We look forward to seeing you then. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.